grab a Bible if you haven't got one or look it up on your device. Romans 15 verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared it in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. 
Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogolus, Julia, Neurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as, as do Lucius, Jason and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him, who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. G'day everyone. Uh, my name's Ollie, if we haven't met before. Um, we've got a long Bible reading, but um, there's a lot of great things in here that I'd love to show you today, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask today, as we hear from your Bible, that you would make it clear to us and help us uh, to do what you're asking us to do and give us the power to do it through Christ for your glory. Amen. I wonder if you've been making any plans recently, um, plans for the week coming up, uh, who's cooking dinner tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, plans for the Christmas break, uh, maybe you're going to go away, get up to the beach, um, lie on the beach, get some sun, plans to visit some friends, are you going to do a reno around your house, uh, a new bathroom, uh, are you planning on getting a puppy, is anyone planning on getting a puppy? I'd like a puppy. Um, <laughs> Are you planning on getting fit um, in next year, in 2019? In these last pages of Romans, we see that God has a plan. He's got a plan for this world, and it's a great gospel plan. And actually, every single one of us have a role to play in it. There are four points that I want to make today from this passage. Uh, and the first one is that God's gospel plan is massive. 
Secondly, that God's gospel plan has no bench sitters. God's gospel plan has threats and God's gospel plan is guaranteed to succeed. As a church, as a church in Australia, I think we're at a bit of a fork in the road. Um, We face struggles from within. Uh, From the outside, we face opposition and we face people just not really caring about us here at the branch in Kings Meadows. But today, I want to move beyond our small plans and our small struggles and I want us to latch on to God's great gospel plan, the plan that he's been bringing about uh, for the creation of the world, that his son would be made known, obeyed and glorified forever for his glory. The first one I want to look at is God's gospel plan is massive. Um, Open up your Bibles, uh, go to chapter 15 and we'll start at verse 14. And in verses 14 to 22, we see the massiveness of God's plan in three ways. And firstly, it's massive in its vision. And Paul starts off by sharing this vision. Um, In verse 16, he says that by God's grace, he's been made a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And he's given the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And Paul here is picking up on an Old Testament idea, that idea that in the Old Testament, a priest brought a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people, usually an animal of some sorts, um, a perfect animal, a spotless animal. And as Paul proclaims the gospel of God, and as people trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is saying that he presents them to God as an offering, as acceptable. It's kind of like those um, home reno shows. I don't watch any of them because they're pretty crap, but um, you might like them. The block, um, imagine the block. They show the footage of the house before the reno and the houses, are, they're not looking very good, are they? They're dirty, they're broken down, they're useless, no one will want to live in them. They're not going to please the owners, they're not going to please the judges. Um, but one hour later, we see this house is completely changed at the end of the show. It's sparkling new, it's clean, it's ready to present to the judges, it's ready for someone to come and live in it. And this is the massive vision of what goes on when Paul is proclaiming the gospel to people who are lost from God. The before shot is people living in sin, people in rebellion to God. Uh, Our hearts are corrupt, we're broken, um, we're messed up inside, we're focused on ourselves. We cannot enter into God's presence, we're not pleasing to him. But Paul goes to work, he's like the renovator and his tool is the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ, that Christ has dealt with sin on the cross that he has risen and he can give us new life, a new heart that actually can serve God and live a life pleasing to him. And the aftershot is a complete transformation. We're forgiven, people are forgiven, we're cleansed, we're filled with God's ultimate gift, his spirit. And we can actually live God's way in obedience to him. Paul's Paul's vision here is not just for apostles, I don't even think it's just for ministers, Um, It's for all people who share the gospel. We can all present people to God uh, as offerings acceptable and pleasing to him. And sometimes I think as we think about sharing the gospel as a church, we can lower our vision a bit. We think, yep, something we've got to do, but it's not really that important. It's not really that significant or profound. But around us in life are friends who don't know Christ, who are not pleasing to Christ because of their sin. Um, There's neighbours, there's colleagues, there's people who... They cannot stand in God's presence. But through us, through our speaking about Jesus and about the message about him, through our prayers, these people can be made completely changed. They can be made new through the Spirit. They can meet God. They can be acceptable and pleasing to him. 
First of all, God's gospel plan is massive in its vision. But with such a vision, if that is true, uh, there needs to be great power to go along with it. And as Paul proclaimed God's gospel, God unleashed his massive power. Look there at uh, verse 17. Paul says, Therefore I glory in Christ in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul's just giving us a bit of a snapshot of what he's achieved in his ministry. And he's actually really excited about it. Because as he's proclaimed the gospel, heaps of people have become Christians. They've obeyed God and many churches were planted. Um, And there was actually visible, supernatural power that was going along with this. Uh, In Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him, that were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. That's, That's pretty crazy stuff, really. Uh, And Paul, what he does is he doesn't glorify in himself because he knows that this power, all these people that have come to Christ, um, that's been Jesus working through him. Paul always points us back to Jesus and he's basically just saying, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Now today, as we uh, explain the gospel to people, as we proclaim it, um, I don't think we can expect these same signs and wonders. Um, No one's going to want to take my shirt after this and take it to the hospital and see what it does. Uh, Paul had a special place in God's mission and that's because it was the first time the gospel was going out. It was the foundation of God's great gospel plan to save the world through his son. But God's power is still with us and as we share the gospel of Christ, um, if we share this great message, uh, actually a greater miracle will happen as people hear the call and obey. And that's the miracle of the heart of someone not just sick or ill, I'm getting well again, but someone whose heart is full of sin and is completely transformed and comes to Christ and receives life. As people do this, we need to be like Paul. We need to be people that continue to point the glory back onto Jesus. For Paul, there hasn't just been a few people become Christians. Look at verse 19. He says, From Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, uh, he has proclaimed the gospel. And to give you an idea of how big that area is, if Paul had a passport back then, uh, he would have stamps from Syria, from Turkey, from Greece, uh, from Albania. That's just to name a few. In kilometres, it would be like uh, me proclaiming the gospel from Adelaide all the way along the bottom of Australia to Perth. Uh, That's a huge distance. It's a huge area. And it's a huge claim that he's actually proclaimed the gospel fully all across this area. What does he mean by that? Does he mean to every person? Does he mean to every place, to every town, to every village? I don't think he means that. Uh, Paul had a strategy. Uh, He was a pioneer. He was the first one to take Jesus and the message about him to these places. And how he did that was to focus on the major towns, the major villages, uh, the ones that were really full of people. We read in Acts that uh, Paul had daily discussions in Ephesus for two years Uh, And that led to all the Jews and all the Greeks who lived in Asia hearing the word of the Lord. Ephesus was one of those main cities that Paul went to. As he shared the gospel there in Ephesus, as people believed it by God's grace, they went out to their towns and their villages with the gospel on their lips. 
In God's great gospel plan, he sent out Paul with massive power and massive amounts of people were saved. And today, he has filled us who have trusted in Christ with that same power to go out and share the message of Jesus. God's gospel plan is massive in its vision, it's massive in power, and lastly, it's massive in its ambition. After all Paul's done, uh, and he's just gone through it, we might forgive him for just taking an early retirement, putting up his feet. Um, You know, he wasn't that far from the Greek islands, he could have moseyed on over there and sat down on the beach, had a pina colada. Uh, Look at all the work that he's done, look at all the Christians um, that have come to Christ through him the churches that have been started. But Paul doesn't rest on his past wins because Paul, like God, has massive ambition. Look there at verse 20. He says, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Paul always had at the forefront of his mind that God's plan was for the whole world and that that plan was that all people would hear about Jesus. So when Paul finished in one city, uh, he didn't have a three-week holiday or a one-year holiday, he just went on to the next place and started telling them about Jesus. Paul's like an Olympic swimmer. Whenever they break a record, you never hear them say, oh, sweet, yeah, that was good, I'm just going to give up now. They always say, I want to get the next time, I want to beat the next record. He's like an army commander. After he takes one territory, he looks, what's the next place I can go and conquer? Paul would go to places where there wasn't already gospel workers. As he says, he doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. And that should be our ambition as a church. We want to be a church that sends people to where Christ isn't known, where people have never even heard of Jesus and what he's done for them. And we try to do that. We try to send missionaries to places in the world that don't have people proclaiming the gospel. But that should be our ambition in Launceston and in Tasmania as well. We want to be a church that reaches those who haven't heard and haven't understood the gospel. Paul, he evangelised half the Mediterranean and he's looking for the next place to go. And we haven't even evangelised one city, Launceston. We don't want to be a church that just attracts uh, people from other churches because we teach the Bible properly. We want to be a church that goes and finds and seeks those who have never heard the gospel. And they're around us. There's a young guy from Hobart who's become a Christian at a uni recently. And when I met him, he'd never been to church. He'd never read the Bible. Uh, he's an Australian guy. He's, all he knew from, uh, about Jesus was from movies and TV shows. Over one year, we shared the gospel with him. And by God's grace, this happened. Um, he was changed by the Holy Spirit to believe that Jesus Christ is really God's son and that he died on the cross for him. There are people like him, Australian people, around us in Launceston and in Tasmania. We can often think, oh, everyone's heard the gospel, it's in Australia. But that's just not true. Uh, Hearing the gospel from a movie or on the news or hearing about Jesus, that's not really hearing the gospel. Uh, We actually need to go and explain it to them over time about who Jesus is and invite them to read about him in the Bible themselves. And for people to hear about something they don't know, they need us who do know to go and tell them. I was listening to the ABC the other day and they were saying, you know, summer's coming up and there'll be bushfires and stuff like that. And they were saying that they're the emergency broadcaster for Australia. In an emergency, they're always on, they're always telling people and warning them what's coming up and how they can respond to it. And we're like that. We need to be on air 24-7, warning people, calling people to do something about Jesus 
about what he's done for them on the cross, asking them to respond. Paul, at the end here, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and I think this is really encouraging, what he says here, um, what God has said through Isaiah, because it's a promise. It's a promise that those who haven't been told, that those who don't understand will hear and will understand. We know the gospel, we have God's spirit with us, God's power, and we've got a city full of people who don't know Jesus. And we need to take hold of this promise and go and tell them. God's gospel plan is massive in vision, massive in power, and massive in ambition. But my second point is that God's gospel point doesn't have bench sitters. Uh, And we can think, how do ordinary Christians like you and me fit into this thing that Paul's been talking about? Uh, There's no bench sitters. As we'd say in footy, there's no one sitting on the pine. Look at verses 23 to 29 with me. We see in these verses that in order for the gospel to go out, the first thing that Paul talks about is uh, it needs money. Uh, It needs financial support. He says in verse 23, But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have have you assist me on my journey there and after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Paul's giving them a bit of an insight into what's his plans come up. He's saying, I want to go visit you, and then I want to go to that next unreached place, which is uh, Spain. And he needs their assistance. But before he gets to Rome, he has to go to Jerusalem. uh, And he says that in verse 25. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. And the reason he goes on to say is because a few churches, Macedonia and Acacia, and these were Gentile churches, they've made a contribution for the poor, uh, for God's people in Jerusalem. In verse 27, Paul says, They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. We saw in previous chapters, at the, um, these last second half of Romans, um, that we as Gentiles, as people who aren't Jews, have been brought into God's promises to the Jews. Um, we're together in Christ. And we should support those who are in need. Um, and you might not be able to preach the gospel like Paul or like others, uh, but you can, if you have a job, if you get an income, support the gospel going out through giving. You can give to our church, Um, I'm leaving and they want to employ another evangelist to come and share the gospel and head up the vision of our church to go and reach people in Launceston. Um, We can give to that. We can support Kate as she gets ready to go overseas to share the good news. There's other missionaries we can support that you can partner with in the gospel. You can support each other and there are people in our church that are in need and we can support each other with money. And this will mean sacrifice Um, In order for gospel workers, in order for people to go and preach the gospel, um, some people will have to stay and give to them and help them to do it. And that will mean sacrifice. It will mean sacrifice for them who are going, but it will mean sacrifice for us who are staying. It might mean that we can't have that overseas holiday every year, that we might need to go to Tassie, uh, somewhere in Tassie, or go to the mainland. It might mean less activities for our kids. It might mean not doing that big renovation on, on our house. It might mean not upgrading our car or not spending our retirement travelling the world. The gospel mission, this mission, God's great gospel plan, needs sacrifice. It needs people willing to go without so that others can go and proclaim. And if you've been blessed with money, 
then give it to God's great gospel plan. Someone gave me some money for my work at the uni uh, from this church recently and I said thanks to them at church and they just looked at me and said, oh, don't thank me, it's just God's money. And I thought, yeah, that, that's true, it is God's money. A lady I know in Adelaide, she's a, a widow. Her, her husband was, uh, he was high up in a big company in Sydney and he died really unexpectedly in his 50s. Um, she left him with a lot of money and each year she gives thousands of dollars away to help young men and women do ministry traineeships or apprenticeships. So they are trained in the Bible to go and proclaim the gospel. Let's use the money that God has given us uh, for things that actually last. Not stuff here on earth that just fades away. Let's use it for the proclamation of the gospel so that people can go from death to life in eternity with God forever. God's mission needs people to go and proclaim. It needs people to give and it needs people to get on their knees and pray. Look at verses 30 to 33. Paul says to the Romans, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul urges them to pray to God for him. You might not be an evangelist. You might not be able to go and proclaim the gospel. You might not have any money. um, But there is a vitally important role for you, and that is to pray. And sometimes I think that can uh, seem like a bit of a cop-out. If someone said to me, you know, how are you involved in gospel work? And I said, oh, I just pray. Uh, I would feel a bit, oh, I wish I did more than that. Um, But I think Paul would say, just pray? What are you talking about, mate? It's prayer. Paul sees it. He urges them. He says, join in his struggle. Prayer is not some second-rate thing. It's not a lesser role in God's mission than others. The task of prayer actually requires immense effort and actually might be the most important job of all. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, he was a great evangelist a long time ago. Uh, He said... Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Dick Eastman, an American pastor, said that in no other way can the Christian become as fully involved in God's work, especially the work of world evangelism, than in intercessory prayer. Paul urges the Romans to pray for him, and he urges them to pray for two things in particular. One, that he would be protected from unbelievers... And two, that the money he's bringing to Jerusalem would be accepted so that he can go then to visit the Romans and then on to Spain, to the next place that hasn't heard the gospel. And as we pray for gospel workers that we send out, that we know, as we pray for the gospel mission here at this church, we're actually joining in their struggle. We're actually taking part in what they're doing. Part of that struggle is the matching up of the plans that we make for the gospel and God's great gospel plan. Paul had plans to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome and then to Spain. But he says there at the end that he wants it by God's will. And that's because uh, prayer is not like a vending machine. And we don't just key in the right thing, say the right thing and then it happens. It's a struggle to seek out our plans and align them with God's will. But amazingly, through our prayers that we pray, and they can be bold and they can be massive and powerful, um, God works out his will. An example of that is this actual prayer that he asked them to pray. Um, 
most of the stuff that he asked them didn't actually come true. When he got to Jerusalem, he was nearly killed and arrested a couple of times, uh, and it took him years to get to Rome. That doesn't mean we look at it and say, oh, God didn't answer their prayers. He did, because actually in Rome, under arrest, Paul got to proclaim the gospel to some of the most powerful people in the world. If you have no money, if you have no gifts to share the gospel, don't just sit on the bench, um, get on your knees and pray. My third point is that God's gospel mission needs everyone. We've seen it needs money, it's even needs prayer, it needs everyone. And we come to a list of names, um, and it could be easy to skim over it. I probably did the first time I read it. Sweet, a lot of names. Um, But these are the names of Christians in Rome who are part of God's gospel plan. And there's 26 names, and what strikes me is they're a mixed bunch of people. There's Jewish names, there's Gentile names, um, there's people who are rich from the household of Narcissus, in verse 11, and there's people who weren't, who weren't rich. Um, theologians think some of the names are common for slaves. Um, nine of the, of the people here are women who are involved in gospel work and supporting it. Um, in verse 12, he lists three women particularly who worked hard in the Lord who shared the gospel and worked hard in it going out. There's a whole mix of nationalities, ages, social standings, genders, bank accounts, and they're all part of this together. There is great unity in this team of gospel servants. And there's also great dedication to Christ in these names. There are people who have suffered for Christ. In verse 3 it says, Priscilla and Aquila have risked their lives for Christ. Andronicus and Junia, in verse 7, have been in prison with Paul. I think Paul lists these names uh, for us um, and for the Romans he was writing to as live examples of people who have got together, united in Christ and got involved with God's great gospel mission. And God has filled our church with a a mixed bag of people, um, but we need all of us. We need Aussie people, we need Dutch people, we need women, we need men, uh, we need young, we need old, we need rich and poor, we need doctors, we need tradies. We need all of us. Um, God has put us together to send the gospel out here in Launceston and around the world. We need people who's going to go and do that, who are going to go and proclaim the gospel. We need people to give. We need people to pray. We need people to hold uh, growth groups in their house and have people come over for lunch. We can't do it on our own. Paul the Apostle, um, who, if someone touched his cloak, would be healed of a disease. He couldn't do it on his own. He had all these people with him. Uh, We need to do it together. But there are threats to our unity and our dedication to the gospel. Uh, That's my third point. I just want to touch on this briefly. You can see there what he said in verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Paul says we need to be on the lookout for people who cause division and who put obstacles, stuff that doesn't line up with the Bible, in our way. And he says we're to keep away from them. And I think that's because um, people that teach these things, people that put these barriers and divisions, they're not honouring Christ and they're probably going to teach us not to obey Christ, not according to the Bible. And that's because, he says, they're only thinking about themselves, their own stomachs, their own appetites. And it might be a slight change um, in teaching, it might be a slight change in their life, um, but one that's crucial. Crucial. 
It might be that they think that church should be on about changing laws in Australia or social welfare or some hobby horse that they've got. Um, But as small and as insignificant as the emphasis might be, um, slowly and surely, um, the mission of proclaiming the gospel to the lost will be dried up and that will be shelved and put on the back burner. And Paul reminds us that actually Satan is the one behind all these divisions and Satan is the one attacking our church and we need to resist until that day that the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. We've seen God's great gospel plan is massive. Uh, It needs all of us, it needs money, prayer, it needs different people with different roles, and it needs a single-minded focus on Christ. And lastly, Paul makes it very clear in the finish that God's gospel plan is guaranteed to succeed. Throughout Romans, Paul, he really just has unpacked the gospel the good news about Jesus. He's shown us God's amazing love that when we were dead in sin, when we were broken, when we were lost, that God sent Christ to die for us. That now we're in a struggle, as we heard a few weeks ago, we're in a struggle against sin, but we have God's Spirit that can help us to grow and to obey Christ until He comes again. This is all by God's grace, and Paul here has urged us, let's get together and let's get involved with this mission the mission of proclaiming the gospel to those who haven't heard it. And that can seem overwhelming. Um, It can almost seem unachievable. But Paul finishes off with the great encouragement in verse 25 onwards. Let me read it out. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but is now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. God has saved us by the gospel, and here we can be reminded that God will establish us in that gospel. And we can't do it on our own. We can't keep growing in holiness. We can't keep preserving ourselves till the very end. We can't actually save anyone, but God is able. And God has given this eternal command, it says, to make known this mystery through the Bible. The mystery is Christ. He is the heart of God's mission to the world. Um, He is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And through him, God has revealed his rescue plan. He's revealed it in us, for those of us who trust the Lord Jesus. And if you haven't, I really urge you um, to don't leave without doing that. He's revealed this message and he's been been bringing about this great gospel plan a lot longer than we've been around. He's been bringing it out forever. And as we grasp the massiveness of God's vision, as we see his power, his ambition, um, as we see that we're needed, all of us are needed for for a world to come in here and obey Christ, um, we can trust that he's going to bring it to completion, that he is able to finish the work that he started. Um, And Paul finishes by reminding us of why that is. And that's because he's the only wise God. And that all this, all that he is doing is for his glory forever through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you have saved.